Warning, this episode may have strong content and crude language. Hey, you guys! It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! What's podcast precious? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Hey, it's another episode of I Am Your Podcast and I am Beth and this is Blue. Whoop, whoop. Today we're going to be talking about the one and only Stanley, King of the comics. Absolutely amazing. The leader of Marvel. The creator of all gods, <laughs> Thor included. He was an amazing man. He was an absolute gem of a human being. He really was. So, starting with the great man himself, Beth, tell me about his life. Well, he wasn't born Stanley. He was born Stanley Martin Lieber. So he shortened it to Stanley. That was his pen name. I like it. Yeah, it's cute. Short and sweet. And he was born in 1922 in New York City. Grew up in the Great Depression. He he always loved reading. Man after my own heart. Absolutely. He even wrote for his high school magazine, The Magpie. Cute. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, a little legend. So, yeah, he's been, he'd been writing for a long time, obviously. His early job writing was uh, doing obituaries for famous people that were not yet dead. See, that's um, morbidly awesome. Yeah, I know, right? Mm. Right up our alley. Yeah. Yeah. So literally the newspaper would be like, can you write up this amazing, like, obituary for this person for when they die? Yeah, it's like preempting death. Pretty much, yeah. He... Had a good sense of humour, which I think really helped, the which is perfect because the kookaburras think it's hilarious <laughs> yeah, too. they love it. Good timing, man. <laughs> he started with Timely Productions when he was only 17 years old and that's when he met Joe Simon mm-hmm. and Jack Kirby, who were the creators of Captain America. Joe Simon at the time was the, the Timely Comics editor and then, of course, they, they had their competition, which was National Periodicals, um, which is also Detective Comics, so DC. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had been there uh, from, you know, they even before, yeah, even before Timely Publications, which became Marvel mm-hmm. in the end. And that's where it is today, of course. Stan used to annoy the crap out of Joe and Jack by playing the ocarina <laughs> while they were working. So he was their assistant. Yeah. And he'd just muck around in the office and he'd be playing the ocarina and like annoying them and, you know, putting on shows for them and stuff. <laughs> I think that's iconic. I mean, if you can't go in your workplace and annoy people, (laughs) like literally I have one guy that I try and sneak up and scare all the time. I used to move other guys' food and put salt in coffee. Like if you can't be a practical (laughs) jokester in the office. There's got to be at least one, right? Definitely. Makes it more fun. So he used his pen name Stan Lee for the first time in 1941. Yep. And he was writing for a Captain America comic. That was the first time he used it and he never looked back. And he, that's what he's been known as ever since in the uh, the professional world. Well, I think that's great because, like, what was his last name? Lieber? Lieber, yeah. Yeah, because that just automatically reminds me of Riba. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think of. Even though it's a Jewish surname. Like, I know, yeah. but it just, it just like, that excitement of, like, woo, Riba. <laughs> 
I like that it's like it's a shortening still of his name. Like it's yeah. not like he chose something completely different. Mm. It, it is him, you know, Stanley Lieber shortened it to Stanley. It's no. very cool. Um, but, yeah, Joe and, Joe and Jack, they ended up leaving for some reason. Supposedly they went to work for national periodicals, but Stan said that he never really knew. Um, I'm getting most of my references from an amazing comic book, um, which is amazing, fantastic, incredible, a marvellous memoir by Stan Lee, Peter David and Colleen Duran, and it's in comic book style. It's a really cool book. Check I it out, people. I can't wait to read it. It looks good. It's amazing. It's really fun. And it's, yeah, it's mostly, it's about his life. And uh, yeah, it's literally got him as this comic book character. There's no better way to tell his story than in comic book version. For sure. So because Joe and Jack left, uh, that sort of put publisher Martin Goodman in a position of not having, you know, an editor. So he put Stan in charge at the age of 19 in 1942. Look, that's not a bad way to get a promotion in the workplace. Annoy the crap out of your fellow colleagues until <laughs> they leave and voila, promotion. Uh, well, I mean, that could have been how it played out. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? But <laughs> it's fun to think. Absolutely. Good old Stan Lee joined the army in 1942, not long after he'd become editor at Timely Publications, and he was an electrician stationed on guard at New- in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He was then moved on to the film division along with fellow writers, including William Sarian, who won an Academy Award for the Human Comedy, mm-hmm. uh, Charles Adams, who is the dude that created The Adams Family. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Uh, one of our absolute favourites. Definitely. Uh, Frank Capra. So he did It's a Wonderful Life, mm-hmm. amazing Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Theodore Dr. Seuss Geisel. Yes. These dudes were in the American Army and were put into this film division and they were writing for these different campaigns for the, the war. And, yeah, and he was part of that. So pretty iconic to, that, you know, there's all these really big names and Stan Lee was one of them. And he was only 19 at the time. Pretty pretty crazy times, hey. Yeah. But in that kind of spot, you didn't have much options. You had to do what you had to do. That's it. Yeah. He wrote a marching theme while he was in the army. Uh, he also designed a poster which said, VD, not me, <laughs> as in venereal disease. Oh, my Apparently God. the soldiers were, like, fucking around and they wanted to encourage them to go to a clinic to basically yeah, get themselves get themselves worked out. And, uh, yeah, so he created this poster and there you go. That's actually brilliant. <laughs> and it was quite a comical one too, but VD, not me. He also broke into the mailroom to get a letter from Timely Comics um, and almost went to jail uh, for, as, as it was a federal offence. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. During that time, Timely Publications moved to the Empire State Building. So it had moved into a bigger uh, place. It didn't stay there, of course, like it moved to its, you know, its own building, whatever. Um, but while it's still in creation, you know, you've got to get a bigger space while it's, it's growing. An, an amazing place too, like Empire mm. State Building, obviously there's, you know, there was a lot of offices in that in that building. Um, but yeah, how, how iconic. Building. I know, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. And, of course, Marvel itself now is, you know, I mean, yes, it was timely publications back then, but um, this was while he was in the army and an artist made of him, of his, uh, Vince Fargo, was filling in as editor while he was in the army. 
And yeah, again, just a reminder, he was only 19 at the time. So Mm. just kick ass. It's amazing to think back that how successful people could be at those ages, you know, people were getting married at those ages. They were doing this, they were that, they were moving on with their lives. Things take so much longer these days, don't they? Which is fine. There's nothing yeah, there's wrong nothing with that. Wrong it's with just, it, but I it's think just it, interesting. It was a very much a can-do attitude, especially I think growing up in a generation that's faced war. Yeah. You you got to do these things quickly because it teaches you the value of life. And mm. I think like especially now that we've got a pandemic, which obviously isn't as vicious as war, but yeah. within its own right it's still huge and problematic. Mm. And Getting it, people to step up. Yeah, it, it forces people to. what they yeah, do. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah reinvent themselves yeah especially those that have lost people that they've loved Mm. it kind of teaches you to be like all right well I'm not living Mm. that life anymore I'm going to do better I'm going to achieve things that's it and it was the depression and you know a lot of these you know things were happening with their their parents you know the, the the kids were like well I need to step up and I need to do this and you know obviously you know these young men were going off to war at like you know 16, 17, 18, you know, whatever was the um, the age. And and then a lot of them were, that couldn't go to the army. They were getting jo- going out there getting jobs to help support their families and, um, yeah, just a sign of the times. But yeah, I think we're seeing a little bit of it in this day and age with, um, you know, not, not so much with young kids but, you know, teenagers, they're, they're, they've got so many more options these days and I think they're, they're kind of taking it in their stride. And, you know, I think, I think, a lot of young people do get a bad rap and, you know. Unnecessarily too. I think the younger generations are more upbeat with how they do things mm. now where where our generation when we grew up and like generations before us, you went out, you worked, that's how you got mm. your income. I think we're a bit more cynical than, yeah. than these guys. They do have it easy-ish but I think, you they've, know. They've got new avenues in making money. Yeah, like and they've got can-do attitudes, right? Yeah, they're not sluggish or I don't think like they're that. lazy. No. Some are. But I think you, you find Even that with any, any generation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Stan comes back from the war and he, it's 1947. So it's obviously, you know, a few years later. Yep. And he was going to go on a blind date with this woman. Mm-hmm. He never met that woman because he goes to a modeling agency to pick up this blind date to go out for dinner. Mm-hmm. And he ended up meeting Joan Bucock, who was a British model. Mm-hmm. She was coming out and he never looked back and Joni was his... His sweetheart. His sweetheart forever. That's so gorgeous. And she was a big advocate of his work too. Like She was so supportive. She was the reason he really went with the characters that he did. Like he was very passionate about, like he was never into having sidekicks. Mm-hmm. He liked, you know, people to have these these you know, unusual stories and these, you know, the, just the these situations where they were everyday kind of people, they had these struggles. Like yeah. it was something that we could all relate to. Yeah, and she just encouraged him in that. And, I mean, look at some of the, you know, the amazing characters that he has come up with. And it's amazing what you can do with that kind of support. So you see that kind of support um, with Stephen King as well. So there was, I'm pretty sure it was It actually, which is, phenomenally and worldwide mm. known now. Absolutely. He threw that manuscript in the bin and his wife fished it out and told him to keep going. Amazing. So you look at all those times that he was rejected as a writer yeah. and his support, his homebody, his wife kept him going and pushed him through. Yeah. Take note, people. It's amazing what you can yeah. do when you have support behind you. Absolutely. 
The Comics Code Authority was created for front covers of comics in 1954 and basically it was putting rules on what you could actually publish in the comics. So it was things like you couldn't talk about drugs, you couldn't talk about sex, you couldn't talk about this and that. So there was this No code. fun things. No, exactly. Um, you know, I mean, yes, they did have still a lot of, there was, you know, the fighting and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like you can have all these scenes of fighting and blood and guts and people dying, but, you know, a sex scene? Mm-hmm. I know, right? Taboo, my friend. Well, look, I mean, it made a little bit of sense, but I think, you know, even with things like, you know, Hugh Hefner with Playboy and things like that, and there was these, you know, big things thrown up about his magazine and just the arguments. I, I, I understand sides of it, but at the same time, it's like, if you don't like what's in the magazines, don't don't look at it. Yeah, I know. Same as like if it's like a cartoon comic character was going to do drugs. I'm not going to see them be like, hmm, that's what I'm going to do to be cool. I don't know, but maybe I think it's, it's just, just people, maybe because people have different. Well, it's the ideas of the kids too, like, you know, going, okay, well, we're buying these comics and, you know, we're not necessarily looking at the comics before our children buy them and, you know, what's it encouraging, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you've got to have the comic people educate your kids. So that was 1954, but in 1971, Stan Lee went against the Comics Code Authority and mm-hmm. he published a Spider-Man comic with an anti-drug message. So he was recommended to do this, but to do so he had to go against the Comics Code Authority. Um, in this particular comic you have Harry Os- Osborne, who is Spider-Man's best friend, tripping on LSD and nearly dying. And Spider-Man's basically going, man, you've got to, you know, snap out of this. They were told that they weren't allowed to publish it because it was about drugs, even though it was an anti-drug message. So it's interesting how it was like they were just so flat out about it. He's like, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And so they published it and it wasn't until 40 years later that the Comics Code Authority went kaput and DC didn't come on board until 2011, basically saying, no, nah, we're not going to do this anymore either. We're not going to go with this this code authority. And, yeah, and then it dissolved and, um, yeah, basically comics are comics now. I mean, you look, there's all sorts of comics these days. I mean, they generally have some sort of, you know, adult content on hmm. them. I think it's a good idea because you have a lot of kids that don't grow up in a healthy home and that's that's just a part of life. Yeah. So for them to see a character that's parents are probably, let's just say, drug fanatics. Yeah. And then them using that to their advantage and being better than what they were raised to be. Yeah. And going above expectations and mm. being that good person and being that better person. Like Absolutely. seeing that kind of stuff like today in society, yeah. it's an everyday. No, I mean that's better than not having that message there and seeing that it's you know, oh, wow, they could get through this, so can I. Yeah, exactly. Because I think a lot of people that come from broken homes, that's a strong message that they need. Yeah. And sometimes they don't have superiors or role models that can help them through with that message. Exactly. But there'll always be comics. There'll always be the written word that will help you through. That's it. Amen, sister. The Fantastic Four was his real first character-driven masterpieces. Um, Mr. Fantastic, Invisible Girl, Human Torch and The Thing. And that was in 1961. That was the real let me do something different. Let me do these really 
left a field. Yeah, characters. real characters. You know, yeah. they're they're going through these struggles, but they've also got these, you know, superpowers or you know whatever going on. So amazing. And then Jack Kirby came back too, and they created some amazing characters together as part of their comics. It got so popular. Um, that they did uh, like a letters page so fans would be writing in and they included that. He, he he did a really good job of including his fans and the kids and probably adults too who were getting into these comic books at that time in the 60s and onwards. And then there was always, then there was Stan Lee's Soapbox as well where he did a bit of a spiel and he's like, you know, and that's where Excelsior came in and just so kick-ass this, you know, culture that he created I like that. I mean, if you can't appreciate your fans, do you even deserve it? Because they're what they have got you to where you are. You've got to have some appreciation of fans. Absolutely. And he did right up until the end. Like he mm. was always going to the comic conventions. He came across as such a lovely guy from from the stories that you hear of, hear of people that have met him. So welcoming and, you know, he was always so encouraging. And I think the fact that the the characters that he created were so real and so you know these everyday kind of people that were driven to greatness Mm. with great power comes great responsibility that's it excelsior which he would be like excelsior um is latin for to the highest and that was the encouragement that he was always giving people um he even had as part of that the mmms did I do too many M's? The MMMS, there you go, the Merry Marvel Marching Society. Oh, cute. Yeah, and as part of that they did like little recordings where they would, you know, they had this club that, you know, people would pay a subscription and they would send off like this this record of the voices of Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd have like Jack Kirby and you'd have like all these people that were part of the Marvel group. Yeah, so awesome. It actually, it became Marvel in the early 60s and previously to that year. It was Timely Publications and it had been Atlas as well. Nice. I'm glad they went with Marvel. That's a very predominant name. Hells yeah. Unfortunately, the plug was pulled after five years of Mm -hmm. having that club uh, by Martin Goodman, who was the owner of Marvel. Apparently it was just costing too much money for them to send these things off and and to have this club, which is a bit sad, but he, uh, you know, he was able to bring in some more stuff later on when he, when he ended up becoming in charge many years later. Some of the awesome characters that he created in the 60s were like Dr. Doom, the Incredible Hulk, uh, the amazing Spider-Man who created with Steve Ditko. Um, that was in 1962. I mean, he he's probably the most iconic character that was created by Stan Lee. Some other awesome characters were created with his brother, Larry yes. Lieber. So we have the Mighty Thor. Oh. Obviously he was based on a... Australian, uh, clearly. Have we all met Chris Hemsworth? <laughs> based on a mythological god, god a Viking, you know, but what they did with that character was absolutely amazing. Uh, with his brother, he also created uh, Ant-Man and then the Wasp. Iconic. Uh, amazing. So they revisited the character originally from Tales of To Astonish, the man in the Ant Hill, and mm. then they went from that and created Ant-Man through that. Little fun fact for you that I found out from a friend, Chloe, over the weekend. Yeah. You know Marvel Stadium? Yes. Which is a 
football stadium here in, in Melbourne, Melbourne yep. Australia. Uh, it's called Marvel Stadium. There's actually a little Ant-Man on top of the Marvel sign outside. So Google I did it. Not know that. Yeah, I already found out. It's amazing. So cute. Google it because you can get close up images of it. But awesome. when you drive past, you see like this little thing sitting on top, and you're like, uh, what is that? It's Ant Man. That's awesome. How cool. That's little so Easter fast. egg on our own football stadium. Nice. Which is probably more impressive than any sport they play inside. <laughs> We're not sport people. If God, you no. couldn't gather. Not that there's anything wrong with sport, but no, we just know, like we just to be lazy and eat burgers and uh, watch movies and movies. TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably if we were to pick a second character that he created or co-created mm-hmm. that is second to none to Spider-Man would be Iron Man. He created Iron Man with Don Heck. In a Iron Man's suspense. probably one of my favourites, to be fair. He's yeah. definitely up there as one of my favourite characters. Yeah, he's epic. That backstory is mm. just, and, you know, the fact that he is this complex character, I mean, they all are in their own right. Mm. You know, they're, they're broken people that have, you know, or, or struggling people in some form or another, they go through these life changes. And if it wasn't for certain things, which we see in obviously things like what if, these slight tweaks, these slight changes in these alternate realities that make them very different mm. to what they were in the the stories that were originally created for these characters. I find that so cool. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's just so, it's it's just these little things that, that make them who they are. Yeah, and that's so kick-ass. But I guess it just shows that where we are in our own lives, it's because of certain choices that we've made or it's certain circumstances that have happened to us and the choices we've made. Because of that, um, yeah. it makes you who you are and you can choose to go one way or choose to go another way. There are choices in life yeah. and you, your choices get you to a certain place. Yeah, I think that's what I was coming, where I was coming from. I was just going off on a tangent like we do. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. We like a good tangent. We do. We love tangents. We love banter. We love burgers. We do. They were good burgers tonight. Man, I'm so full. (laughs) We're going to plug Mad Patties. Yeah. Because they were great. Their burgers come through. Amazing. So full as a goog. Yeah, I'm like trying to like sit comfortably with a burger baby. It's just not that great. <laughs> Their burger rings were really good too. Oh, man. Yum. Really nice. Good. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, wash it down with a Dr. Jack. Oh, yeah. Drink and choice. Mm-mm. Some of the, the, the finer details that they come to with these creations, whether it's Stan Lee or if it's just his team that come up with these things, but Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. and the fact that S.H.I.E.L.D. is it stands for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. Like it's just kick-ass, you know. Yeah. And it's not just you know, ooh, ooh, how can we, how can we do this? It's just like we want it to sound really cool, and let's go with Shield. And how can we, you know, how can we break this down? And you know, yeah. Um, and the fact that they included that in the movies, you know, the explanation of what Shield actually stands for is so cool. Yeah, and the fact they're like, you need to come up with a better title. They're like, yeah, we're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> Pepper says that, doesn't she? Yeah, she yeah, does. yeah. Bots. 
Awesome. Doctor Strange is another amazing creation. Yeah. Yeah. And he did that with Steve Ditko too, uh, who is, yeah, he did The Amazing Spider-Man with some awesome characters. And then X-Men in 1963. I think the 60s was just his pinnacle, like, creational genius through yes. that time that was where most of his characters came in within let's call it the like the stan lee renaissance because i feel oh, like that's where yeah. his best masterpieces came from amazing yeah because x-men he did that with chris claremont len wine and john burns so obviously x-men covers a lot of characters mm. and uh it's just the backstories is just i can't keep I can't not go back to that every time. It's just that these these stories that these characters have, it's just the detail that they, you know, of why they are the way that they are and, you know, whether they're a hero or a villain or if they're an anti-hero. And I love the fact that a lot of the characters go through a a change, you know. They can be bad at yes. times, you know, and it's just like human nature. Like we can make choices where we're like, the Where villain. we fuck up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he did all of this before becoming publisher and editorial director of Marvel Comics in mm. 1972. He created all of those characters in those years. Look, if they didn't promote him after creating all those characters, they're idiots, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Just his story writing and his, yeah, his creation and that he went with his gut and his heart. After he fell out with Steve Ditko because of the amazing Spider-Man crediting, mm-hmm. uh, in came John Romita. Um, and then unfortunately there was a fallout with Jack Kirby as well, who yeah. was such a amazing, you know, I think he's he's almost up there with Stan Lee as a name for Marvel. Jack Kirby was just an amazing artist, obviously because of his creation of Captain America alongside Joe Simon. Um he's yeah he's definitely a name that you put with with timely publications um which obviously became marvel mm-hmm. um yeah so it's it's a pity that there were fallings out um but i guess it's hard when you're co-creating something with someone and such is life really yeah yeah there's 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 going to be disagreements and you know hopefully they they fixed their grievances do you know he was friends with bob kane who's the creator of batman wouldn't actually surprise me. No, that's it. I mean, of course, he was, you know, he was with DC. But, yeah, they used to have dinner together and all sorts of stuff. Like, I just love that. Stan Lee had a lot of famous fans as well. Yes. Uh, including uh, Paul and Linda McCartney. Mm-hmm. So before Linda passed away, uh, she was wanting to do a comic strip, Susie and the Red Stripes, and it was meant to be like this music that she was creating. Um, she was going to be Susie in these comics and the Red Stripes was, was her band and they were, yeah, they, they were going to do this and um, unfortunately it was sort of put on the back burner and uh, and Linda passed away and it never ended up happening. That's um, unfortunate. It, it is. Um, one that did happen though was uh, a Kiss comic, which was, um, yeah, obviously by the guys in, in Kiss and... Um, Apparently they decided that they wanted to put some of their blood into the ink fat that was to make the comics. That is so Jane Simmons. It's not Isn't even funny. it? I know, right? So they came in and they did it and there was like just, you know, they did their little prick and they put it in, you know, 
Um, and there was this, you know, this run of these comics. And, yeah, apparently that's what happens. His gorgeous Joni, mm. his wife, not his daughter Joan, but his wife, um, actually had a book herself called yes. the, the Pleasure Palace. Get out. Yeah. So it was a romance novel, like this saucy, yeah, in the 80s. Stan's first cameo mm. was actually in the comic, Spider-Man's comic and the comic strip, and they did it in line with one another. Yes. Uh, so he was focusing on the comic strip mm-hmm. and uh, some other guys were working on the comic. And basically he was, yeah, he he was officiating Peter Parker and Mary Jane's wedding. And, yeah, Stan Lee, the man. Yeah, that was his first cameo was actually in the comics. That's really cute. Absolutely. Have you heard of Stripperella? No, I haven't. With Pamela Anderson? No, but now I really want to look it up. (sighs) It was created by Stan Lee Mm -hmm. through his POW Entertainment. He did one called Purveyors of Wonder, which was something different, and he did Stripperella with Pamela Anderson. That is so cool. Yeah, so it was like this series that they actually um, filmed and, um, yeah, it was like this. I mean, they were, you know, they were very B, you know, well, quite B grade, but just so left of centre compared to, you know, these kids' comics and comic strips Mm. that he was doing and creating and, and. I love that, that it's just, you know. A little bit outside the box. Like we, we all support that. There was a convention that started in 2011, 2012. It may have even been a bit before that. Um, that was a comic convention. Mm-hmm. And Stan Lee ended up taking it on. Mm-hmm with the the creators of this convention um, and it turned into Stan Lee's Kamikaze. Mm-hmm. Eventually it then turned into LA's Comic Con, which is what we know today. Yeah, and we all appreciate and love. Absolutely amazing. And there are Comic Cons all over the world. It's just become such a culture now, this, you know, we've got cosplay, we've got all of these, you know, panels of these actors you know with all the movies and then you've got comic book creators and they're all coming and it's just this whole community there's there's nothing quite like going to these comic conventions I mean we've been to a few here yeah. in Melbourne and they the atmosphere the people it's 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 so heartwarming it it's really like a is family yeah it's yeah. amazing I've never had a bad experience going to these no. venues and all these uh comic cons and yeah. I don't think I ever will it's just insane how the camaraderie is there and these, mm. you know, I think when you can find a you find a your common people. ground. Yeah, yeah you find absolutely. Your You've got something in common and even though it is, it is a very vast thing, like these comic conventions, obviously it's not just about comics, it's about, you know, it's about movies. I mean it all ties in and there's even elements of, you know, obviously music and then there's sometimes there's wrestling and there's this and yeah. that and they have these elements all brought together and it's just this fun environment and the thing that, they have in common is pop culture. Even if you're not into comics or movies, if you're a sports person, you know, you go to a stadium, you look at the camaraderie of all the people that are there Mm. to cheer for their team. It's the same thing when you go to these comic conventions. It's you, you, it's like family, you know. It really is. You've got this common ground and it's just, it's so cool. 
And mm-hmm. same with, you know, music festivals. You go to music festivals and, and you know, you, you're just in the music and you have these, you know, it's common ground and it's, um, you know, it's, it's such a human need. God love him. Stan Lee was finally named a Disney legend in 2017. Hall of Fame recognising individuals who have made an integral contribution to the Walt Disney Company. So Marvel, of course, was bought by Disney mm-hmm. and, you know, mega company, but they have done such a beautiful job. They've really delivered on the goods. I mean, you look at the Marvel world before Disney got involved mm-hmm. and while it was okay and in like somewhat enjoyable some aspects of it at least which yeah. we'll go through in part two in the movies when we chat about that absolutely but when disney owned it they they nailed it mm. like you can't fault them for what they've done same they, with star wars like, yeah 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 they've, they've taken these lovable cults because <laughs> that's what I'm going to call it. Like it, it's an it, it, it's an amazing cult, a positive really cult. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're taking that word. We're taking it away from serial killers. We're 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 running with it. I love it. <laughs> Stan's beloved Joni unfortunately died in 2017. They'd been married for almost 70 years. True love, absolutely. It's that's so gorgeous, amazing, and. Uh, yeah, a year later, um, almost a year later, Stan passed away uh, in November, November the twelfth in twenty eighteen, um, in Los Angeles. He had um, heart failure, cardiac arrest, and uh, and he was cremated, and he was ninety five years young. Mm. Yep, and um, you know, just so beloved up until you know up until his death, and still continued. Like he is so he's such a beloved beloved man and creator of these, um, yeah, not just for his creations but also for the man that he was. Do you want to know a few fun little facts about him as we close off part one of Mm -hmm. Stan Lee? Yes. His favourite show was The Simpsons. God bless him. Yes. I mean we love The Simpsons too. And, yeah, it just shows his love of, you know, of comics and, you know, I know it's not a comic, but it's a cartoon and it's just like all those little, you know, nuances and, and fun. He was just a fun dude. Mm. Uh, his favourite childhood comic hero was Flash Gordon. Yes. Yeah. Iconic. Uh, one of his favourite movies was King Kong, the 1933 version with Fay Ray. Mm. Um, amazing cinematography in that. Um, he was five foot 11. I always imagined him that he was fairly short but apparently not apparently he was 5'11 he was almost six foot six foot four (laughs) yeah like you yeah Yeah, apparently (laughs) (laughs) uh he he not only uh wrote comics but he actually got serious at times with his writing uh he wrote a quite a lengthy poem called god woke Mm. yeah i haven't read it as such but um apparently it's quite quite um insightful and just deep okay so um yeah add add that to the tbr yes absolutely and he was known as smiling stanley by a Mm. lot of people too just a happy go lucky dude um he did go through his, his hard times um but in general like 
you know, he had a an enjoyable life and, and you know, he had his journey by his side for, you know, well, 70 years of marriage and, and yeah, a great plethora of um, people that loved him and that he loved too, along with his wife and his daughter. Hmm. On that sad note, we'll end part one there. Stanley is a legend in his own right. Yeah. And I believe that his work will continue to live on, like no doubt about it. Absolutely. And we still see this in the Marvel Universe when they're producing more films and making more films. It's all in dedication to this iconic legend. Yeah. Thanks for listening and join us for part two where we go into his movies and TV series. Let's bring it to the film. Love you guys. Love you and leave you. Bye. Peace out. Okay, so I'm going to do that again and i got to mm-hmm. get it right. Not that it really matters, but we do like history. No, we do like history. Excuse me. Yeah, that was a good one though.